Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner. Ted Colfin, our beat reporter, is on vacation. Today, our special guest is the newest broadcaster in the NHL, Detroit's Everett Fitzhugh, the first black NHL team broadcaster with the expansion Seattle Kraken. In a second, we'll get Ted's latest predictions, our predictions in the qualifying round Left a lot to be desired. Ted got two right, six wrong. Mine were about the same. Not good. Not good at all. There were lots of upsets with Montreal, Chicago, and Arizona advancing. Ted got Carolina and Vancouver right. In the next round, he has both of those teams losing. Ted has Carolina losing to Boston in six games and Vancouver losing to St. Louis in six games. His other predictions in the East, he has Philadelphia over Montreal in six games, Tampa Bay over Columbus in six, and the Islanders to upset Washington in seven games. In the West, he has Vegas over Chicago in five games, Colorado over Arizona in six, and the Flames to upset Dallas in seven games. One other quick note about the lottery, the New York Rangers just won the Alexi Lafreniere sweepstakes. The Rangers will have the number one overall pick, much to the chagrin, of course, of Red Wings fans who have the fourth overall pick. If you have any comments on the lottery, you can send them my way, and we'll include them on the next podcast. My email address is mfalkner at detroitnews.com. That's mfalkner, M-F-A-L-K-N-E-R, at detroitnews.com. Okay, time now for our interview with Everett Fitzhugh. Joining us now is Detroit native Everett Fitzhugh, the first black NHL team broadcaster who was hired on Friday by the expansion Seattle Kraken. Everett Welcome to the podcast. And before we talk about your new role, your new job, your trailblazing role, as some people have said, can you tell us what Detroit means to you growing up here, going to school, listening to Tigers announcer Ernie Harwell, like hundreds of thousands of sports fans? What, what does Detroit mean to you, Everett? Well, first, Mark, thank you uh, so much for having me on. It, it's, uh, it's a huge honor. And You're welcome. As a native – as a native Detroiter, I grew up reading the sports pages of the Detroit News and <laughs> and all of that. So this is uh, this is a really cool experience to to be in and a part of a publication that I grew up reading. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, for me, growing up in Detroit, I mean that that's mm. that's where I got my start. You know, yeah. I was born there and. Uh, uh, growing up, I was a huge baseball fan. I actually really didn't get into hockey until I was probably maybe in the third grade. So what would that be? Eight or nine years yep. old around there sometime. But, uh, no, my, my, my summers were spent, like you said, listening to, to Ernie Harwell. I was a, a huge Pistons fan, uh, a Tigers fan. I was a huge Pistons fan as well. So <laughs> George Blaha was, was the soundtrack to, to my winters and, and listening to, to the Pistons games. And, you know, it was, um, it's where I fell in love with sports. You know, I, they, they give us Detroiters and, you know, now that I'm in Ohio, I am in Buck, Buckeye country and in mm -hmm. Cleveland country. So all my friends have always given me a hard time from being from Detroit, but it's one of those things that I'm always, uh, 
so prideful in and, and, you know, being able to, to represent the city and, and Southeast Michigan is, is, I think that's just for me, that's just as big of an honor as, as making it to the NHL. Everett, you talked a bit about your background, that you were adopted, that your uh, mother adopted you in 1989, that she has a couple of brothers, a couple of uncles and their wives. And I'm sure they're a part of this excitement with your new job and things. But could you talk a bit about their role growing up in Detroit with your mom and your uncles and this life of of sports and, and, and following teams, like you said. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, I'm an only child of a single mom. Uh, I, was, I was very, very lucky to, to be adopted by Denise Fitzhugh. And, you know, she, she's been my best friend my whole life. And I tell people all the time, she, uh, we love each other like mother and son, but sometimes we'll bicker like brother and sister. So, <laughs> you know, we, we get along really well. She's always been, you know, my biggest supporter, my biggest cheerleader and um my family obviously they they are just over the moon and thrilled i mean i've gotten so many messages over the past couple of days from people and folks that i haven't talked to in a while friends old colleagues but it's the ones that come through from my family that really um Mm. makes me feel good you know they've always supported me uh you know i i grew up in detroit and and i went to um to middle school and high school actually uh, up in Ann Arbor. So they always came to, you know, whenever I was in theater guild, they always came to my performances and um, you know, they always have supported me in, in whatever um, I wanted to do. So being able to share this with my family, with my mother, my uncle, yes. my cousins, um, you know, my, my mom is a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta. So all of my, uh, my aunties, as I call them, all of my, uh, my mom's sorority sisters, they've been nothing but they, they've been se- second and third and fourth mothers to me. And, and they have always supported me. So being able to, to share this with them and, uh, you know, represent my family and, and, and represent the people who care most about me, you know, it, it's a very amazing experience and it's very um it's very cool to see me or i should say see them support yes. me mm-hmm. the way that, that i've always known that they, that they have everett what are some of the lessons that your mother taught you during those years she had a lot of support could you talk about and this is difficult sometimes when you ask uh, uh, you know, you know, sons or daughters about what their parents taught you, but you might be a little more reflective now that you've reached this goal of being in the NHL at age 31. You said, my goodness, if I made it by the time I was 40, I'd be happy. But looking back, are there, <laughs> are there, are there some things ever that you say, yeah, you know what, that's really profound or that makes sense now? You know, my mom has always encouraged me to to I guess explore my okay. my likes and my interests and never let anything stand in my way. And I know it sounds really cliche, but you know, as as a black kid growing up in Detroit, you know, back when I was a kid, not a lot of black kids 
we're into hockey. And it's funny, you know, I was made fun of sometimes by my classmates and by my friends uh, because I, I did like hockey a lot. And, you know, she always told me, never let that stop you. Never let that get in the way. And mm. uh, again, I, I know it sounds really cliche, but it was that message that said, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, and, and there is no white or black sports. If you're a hockey fan, be a hockey fan. And, you know, m my mom, admittedly, she'll tell you she may not understand the game uh, that much, but she's always listening to games and, and she always supports me in that way. So I think that was very, very cool. You know, being able to, to grow up with her, you know, she's, um, she uh, was a probation officer, worked for the Third Circuit Court, still does oh, work for the Third okay. Circuit Court downtown. Yeah. So, you know, she, she's been in social work and, and she sees, you know, a lot of the the things that go on in Detroit and she's been around it. And, and for her to be able to impart that wisdom on me and to, 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 like I said, be my, my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan is something that, you know, I, I can only um, thank her for and, and continue obviously to love her for it. And I was joking with her the other day, you know, she was, um, you know, it, it's going to be rough moving, to the other side of the country with her still being in Detroit. And I, and I said, you know, mom, I love you, but uh, you may need to pack up and, and, and move out here in a bit. Cause I don't know if I could do this without you. So uh, she, she's been, she's been my rock and, and she has supported me through, through my entire life and through this whole journey. I remember after um, my first broadcast in college, uh, it was uh, January of 2007. Okay. It was uh, Bowling Green against Alaska Fairbanks. I was a color analyst for that game. And that's when I really fell in love with broadcasting and, and, and hockey broadcasting. And I remember I called my mom either that night or the next day and I said so this game went fantastic and I am now putting all of my eggs into the hockey basket we're going to the NHL and she kind of chuckled and she said all right well yeah you you can do it let's uh let's see if we can get you there so she she's been yeah. on board with this thing since day one and it's really cool to to be able to share this with her well, that'll be a tough decision for your mom, you know, when to go out yeah. <laughs> exactly down the road. You guys will figure it out. You know, you talked about being in grade three and, and learning about the game. And I'm wondering, so 1989, so you would have grown up in the Steve Eiserman era and the Red oh, Wings. Yeah. And you also talk about seeing players like Mike Greer and George LaRocque with the Oilers, black hockey players who mm -hmm. – who, uh, we're in the NHL and we're role models at the time. How did the, um, uh, the news of the day sort of affect you at that time? Well, so I got into sports and, and I got into hockey, like you said, in the, in the late nineties, you know, okay. I, when I really started to pay attention to sports and, and learn the game, um, it was right around the time the Red Wings were, were in the middle of that back-to-back -back cup run. Um, and I just remember the city was, was alive and, and everyone was on the Red Wings wagon and, and, and they were so excited. But when you're in third and fourth grade, when you're a kid, you, you want to fit in, right? And, sure. Um, 
I remember all my classmates talked about hockey and they were huge hockey fans. And I was a Red Wings fan because they were my hometown team. You know, I didn't know any better. So I went home one night and, and I watched a, a Red Wings game and they happened to be playing the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and I saw Mike Greer and George the Rock on the team. And, and I remember running through the house like, Mom, Mom, there's two <laughs> black guys on Edmonton. They're, they're people who look like me who play hockey. And, and that was the coolest thing at the time for me to see you know black players in the NHL uh, playing a game that sure. hasn't really um, seen a lot of people of color and minorities especially at that time so a few years later Anson Carter joined the Edmonton Oilers and um, you know I, I know Detroiters aren't going to want to hear this but I've actually been an Oilers fan for most of my life because of that reason <laughs> the Red Wings obviously are my hometown team so they still hold a special place in my heart and I still do cheer for the Red Wings but um, you know the Oilers that uh, that late 90s Oilers teams is what got me into hockey because it gave me a role model and it gave me, you know, role models and, and people to follow. So, you know, that's, that's how I got into hockey and how I got into the sport. And, you know, I remember I just told you about, uh, you know, that Flyers and that Capitals uh, Stanley Cup series. And I remember watching those games. I believe the Detroit Vipers of uh, the IHL won a championship one or two, both of those years as well. So, you know, Detroit became hockey town uh, in, in that late 90s era. And it was it was really, really fun and really, really cool to watch hockey explode. And, and that's what really, mm -hmm. you know, lit that passion for me uh, in the game of hockey. It's so exciting. It's so fast paced. And that's what really drew me to the game. And then, like I said, having role models like Mike Greer, who is from Detroit, I believe he was also born in Detroit. Mike Greer was um, George LaRock and Anson Carter, having them as role models to, to watch and follow them in hockey was really, really cool. You know, Everett, you mentioned the fast-paced nature of the game, and you made an observation, which I really hadn't thought of as well, about why some people, like, don't play the game. Certainly, there's a financial aspect. And another mm -hmm. uh, black commentator, Anthony Stewart on Sportsnet, he helps yes. out a lot of young uh, hockey players in the Toronto area taking money out of his own pocket and, and giving uh, young black players a chance to play. But you also said that it's a difficult game compared to basketball and baseball and maybe some other sports. And I really hadn't given mm -hmm. it that much thought. Maybe you could just talk a bit about something that really I hadn't thought of just how difficult the sport is and that must be a little bit daunting for some people yeah you know i've been i'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote here before i get into it you sure. know when i was in the ushl league office um we put on a number of combines uh for young players who were hoping to get to the league and um you know i, I remember talking to a bunch of C CCM and reebok hockey reps at the time and um you know hockey's a very expensive sport uh one kid we had a combine and he broke his stick and he came running out and said, dad, dad, I need a stick. I need a stick. Yeah. His dad went in and, and dropped $400 for two sticks. No questions asked. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, man, th th this sport is crazy. And that's when I realized just how much it took to play hockey, not only from a financial side of it, but you know, when you think about basketball, when you think about baseball and football, if you can walk, if you can run, you have the basic principles of that sport down. Obviously, you have 
all of the nuances and you have to know how to shoot and tackle and hit a baseball and things like that. But, you know, there's so many skills, different skills that go into playing the game of hockey. You have to learn how to skate. So that means $700 for skates. That also means either living by a pond that freezes over in the wintertime or paying a couple of hundred dollars for a session of ice skating lessons. Uh, I didn't even learn how to ice skate until I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to take intro to ice skating as my <laughs> PE credit to graduate. So I was 21 years old when I learned how to ice skate. Um, but a lot of times, you know, hockey is one of those sports that may not be accessible to everyone. So that's why I, I am always, you know, enjoying and, and I always love to see kids and even adults. I have a friend of mine who um, writes for the Chicago uh, Sun-Times and he learned how to play hockey at, I want to say, 36 years old. Took an ice skating mm. lessons and is now playing in like a beginning house league in Chicago um, because he loves the game. So being able to, to teach people about the game and to expose people about the game is something that, you know, I, I love when, when you know, guys like Anthony Stewart uh, are able to get out in their community. And yes, that's one yeah. of the best things about Seattle, too, is that this organization, they are so committed to getting in the community and, and not only turning uh, Seattle into Hockey Town 2.0, Detroit will always be the original Hockey Town, but um, Seattle turning that into a Hockey Town by getting uh, folks to the rink, but also by getting people in skates and learning how to play. Um, so whenever you can have kids, especially in my opinion, inner city kids, minorities, uh, people of color, uh, playing a sport that historically hasn't seen a whole lot of, uh, of, of faces that, you know, non-white faces, that is what I think the important uh, part is. Now you've talked about your uh, broadcasting trailblazing role that you don't really see yourself as a pioneer, but you welcome helping other potential minority broadcasters. Uh, David Amber of, mm. uh, of Sportsnet, uh, a, a, a broadcaster that many of us, I'm a Canadian, are very familiar with. David Amber has said that it's great seeing qualified candidates who happen to be visible minorities. Again, any thoughts about your role going to Seattle? Certainly you're bringing some of this hockey town too to, to Seattle. So that's an interesting Absolutely. story. Absolutely. But do you have any thoughts then about your role going into the city that, according to Seattle CEO Todd Laiwicki, there's a Canadian vibe to the city, the 12th largest market, which had no winter sports franchise, a young, vibrant, high-tech community. How do you mm -hmm. feel that your message will be received there? You know, I, I think it will be received positively. Um, you said it yourself. Um, I've always told people that you never really set out to be the trailblazer. You know, it, no one ever, I think, intends to, to, to be that person. But if I can inspire people and if I can help the next generation of mm -hmm. hockey broadcasters or even just hockey fans, I mean, our game, the, the game of hockey is such an amazing, fun spectacular game and if I can help build that fan base I mean that's what's important to me but Seattle is such a fun vibrant 
diverse, progressive city that, you know, they're trying to build an organization that is representative of the town of Seattle. Um, if you look at their numbers, 54% of their executive vice presidents are women. Um, I believe 35, 40 around their percent of their just overall staff are, are female and, uh, and people of color. So they are really carrying the torch when it comes to gender diversity, when it comes to racial diversity, and they want a, a, an organization organization that is not only reflective of the city and the mm. demographic of Seattle, but also they want an organization that is reflective of where the game of hockey is going and where the game of hockey uh, should be. So I'm really excited to, to be able to get out to Seattle and, and start the, the tour, if you will. A lot of community events, a lot of speaking events, going into different uh, youth uh, sports arenas, going into different communities and, and sharing not only the vision of the Seattle Kraken, but just our passion and my passion personally for the game of hockey, for the organization. And I think that Seattle, especially early on, I mean, when you have a, an expansion team, you know, it, it's, it's the new, it's the exciting, but this is going to be something that we're hoping will resonate throughout not only Seattle, but the entire Pacific Northwest. Vancouver is a couple of hours away, but outside of Vancouver, you've got all of Washington State, you have Oregon, you have Idaho, um, you have Alaska trying to, to reach into those markets and trying to convert people who may not have thought about hockey or may not know much about hockey, trying to get them into the game. And I think it puts us as an organization, as a franchise, in a very interesting position because we have an opportunity to really have a, a four state monopoly when you think about it when it comes to trying to grow the game amongst mm -hmm. any and every group that you can find where is the game going overall in terms of diversity everett you talked about uh, the rise in black broadcasters uh, we mentioned david amber uh, mm -hmm. Anthony Stewart, Kevin Weeks, Anson Carter, who went to Michigan State and, of course, is now on NBC. Mike Chirico from Ann Arbor called the Islanders-Panthers series just last week. And when you look on the ice, the Red Wings this year, Giovanni uh, Smith, Trevor Daly, and Madison Bowie were in the lineup mm -hmm. for the Red Wings, three black players as well. What, what are you seeing from your perspective? You know, for, from my perspective – I don't think you can ever talk about diversity enough and without getting too political, you know, I, I know sure. that diversity recently, you know, it's been kind of a, a touchy subject amongst folks, but I've always believed that the way we showcase as a society, our best foot forward and our mm -hmm. best people is by getting different viewpoints, getting people who are from different backgrounds and different areas. And I think that, you know, hockey for a long time has had the, has had the uh, reputation, I should say, of being that old boys club. Um, and I, I think the NHL has, in recent years, done a phenomenal job with trying to embrace diversity. You know, I will say that I think there's still a long way to go. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you can ever stop talking about it because yeah. you want to make sure and, and you want people to understand and to know that 
diversity will be and should be the norm um, in the NHL. And um, being able to, to see a lot of of people that I look up to, you mentioned David Amber and Mike Tirico and Anson Carter. Anson Carter was actually my favorite hockey player <laughs> growing up in the Oilers. So um, that was really cool to, to see him on NBC Sportsnet. I look at the late John Saunders uh, who went to Western Michigan and, and, and he played hockey there um, and did some broadcasting obviously for ESPN before he passed uh, at the age of 61. So being able to, to look up to these, these people who've come before me, has has really shown me um, off the ice that mm -hmm. this industry is growing. And then, like you said, on the ice, you mentioned uh, Madison Bowie and, and Giovanni Smith and um, Trevor Daly here for Detroit. And obviously, there's a lot of other of, – of, mainstream big name black players in the NHL, Wayne Simmons, PK Subban, uh, Malcolm Subban, um, Jerome McGinley getting set to go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And, and um, I really enjoyed watching him play growing up, even down here in the minor league level um, mm. for the Cincinnati Cyclones, a team that I've been with for the last five years. In my time at Cincinnati, we've had numerous black players, uh, Nate Mitten, Devontae Stevens, uh, Daniel Muzito Bagenda, who is a Swede who went back over over to Sweden to play, but um, the Cyclones also have a black assistant coach in Jason Payne. Um, so being able to see this diversity um, starting from really the lower levels of minor pro hockey, there's a couple of black college uh, coaches as well, a lot more black college players as well. So, you know, it is very, very nice and refreshing and warm to see people who don't look like um, the historic picture yes. of hockey, if you will, getting into the game, getting involved with the game. And, you know, we as a sport are on the right track. I, I think we overall as a society are on the right track as well, but it's something we can never forget. It's something we can never, in my opinion, stop talking about because that is how you improve. That is how you get better is by amplifying those voices and those people who may come from different backgrounds and who may um, historically have been underrepresented in, in a certain area. Now, there have been negative uh, comments, and you said negative comments can provide more motivation. There's an editor's note in the Seattle Times, which is interesting, uh, Everett, and if you don't want to comment on it, that's fine, but the comment thread on the story introducing you to readers in Seattle had been removed due to too many comments violating our code of conduct. As an assistant sports editor at the Detroit News, we have this ability to shut off the comments when, again, the tone or perhaps the, the description of why they took down the comments has not been clear. But normally there is a level of discourse which is inappropriate. And at some point, as editors, we just can't, we just can't allow certain things to be published. So without knowing specifically why the Seattle Times decided to remove their comments on your story, do you have any thoughts about the downside or there are going to be things like this or maybe you have faced 
issues like this in your past? You know, I, I think it comes back to my mom again. Yes, uh, good. Don't good. let don't let the comments, don't let the haters get you down. No matter what you do, somebody somewhere is going to have something to say. Um, I like to think that my body of work speaks for itself. I like to think that I am a nice person and I am a genuine person and that the people that I personally um, have come across in my life have never been wronged by me. And those are the ones whose opinions I I think resonate with me more. Um, That said, I I think a little bit of the, the, um, sadistic side maybe in me kind of enjoys the the negative comments to some degree because like you said it it does provide a little bit of motivation um Mm -hmm. for me um that said i also understand that i'm not everyone's cup of tea i understand that there are people who don't care that i'm the first black uh, team broadcaster they don't care the fact that i'm black can i do the job can i do i sound good okay great that's all that matters. I understand that viewpoint, um, but I, I've never really let the comments get to me. You know, I've been very fortunate in my life to um, have been accepted by my colleagues and by my peers, and um, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have met a, new, a number of people from the NHL on down, uh, and they don't they don't see me as as a really good black broadcaster they don't really they don't see me as oh you know he's good for a black guy they see me as a person who is competent in this industry who can do this job who sounds pretty good uh and and who puts on a good broadcast and for me i think that's those are the folks that i listen to it's easy to block out the the other noise and um because you're going to have that as far as the comment section, you can leave on the comments all you mm-hmm. want to. I've got a pretty thick skin. Um, my, my friends and my family have done a really good job over my lifetime of, uh, of <laughs> keeping me humble and keeping me grounded. So um, the negative comments, they never really get to me. They never really bother me um, because I, I understand that you can't please and you're never going to please everyone. So. Um, I, I, it goes back, like I said, back full circle to my mom and, and just her telling me Good. yes, to block out all the noise and, and to just go out there, be the best that you can be. And, you know, at the end of the day, they'll see you for who you are. And a lot of them will um, regret the way that they've treated you in the past or some of the negative comments that they've made. And then that's on them. So um, that, that would, that, that's probably where I stand on that issue. And, you know, looking at your uh, resume, you've put, the, you've put the work in five years with the Cincinnati Cyclones, the Youngstown Phantoms of the up-and-coming United States Hockey League, Bowling Green University, and everything else you've learned. Just sort of wrapping up a couple more questions. You, yeah. We've talked a bit about uh, where you've been. I'm interested in what you heard from those announcers growing up, like Ernie Harwell, the dignified nature of Ernie Harwell setting the stage and others that you've listened to, maybe more from a Detroit perspective. You've had lots of people inside the industry who have helped you, including uh, Mike Emmerich, also 
a local broadcaster who put in a good mm-hmm. word as well. But I'm just curious, you know, you look back and you think about what you listened to when you were younger, and that may not be the things you have moved forward with, but there must be some sense of maybe not romanticism, but mm-hmm. growing up and listening to these announcers in Detroit, what, what do you remember or take from them? Or what are some of your memories of listening to, to them? And now, of course, now you're doing the same thing, describing uh, national, you will be describing National Hockey League action. You know, just you mentioning the name Ernie Harwell gave me goosebumps. Good, uh, good, yes. He, he was the, the soundtrack, to, soundtrack of my summer. And, and like you said, I'm sure to thousands, if not millions uh, of people over yes. the course of time. And um, he is someone that I, I didn't realize how important. And I didn't realize just how influential Ernie Harwell was until his passing. And then, of course, you know, as I got older and started to realize um, that this is what I wanted to do for a living. And a lot of people were asking, so who are some of your influences? And Mm -hmm. just blurting out Ernie Harwell, not even realizing, you know what I mean, that he was so special. And I, I loved his descriptiveness. I loved his his phrases, uh, you know, stood there like a house on the side of the road and watched it go by, um, you know, listening to those. I would always um, watch uh, baseball on, on UPN, Channel 50, and then I would turn Ernie Harwell on uh, on the radio. So he was a big influence on me. Um, I think in Detroit, like I said before, George Blaha as well, the, the voice of, of Pistons television for me. Um, and then as I as I got older into the Pistons championship season back in 04, Mark Champion uh, really enjoyed listening to him, and, and I still do enjoy listening uh, to him when I can when I can catch a Pistons game on the radio. But um, a lot of my influences actually were, were from your neck of the woods, uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Right, Luckily, right. Being being from Detroit, we were able to get CBC right over the border. So yeah, was, Bob Cole, Bob, Bob Cole, Cole, Jim Houston. Jim yeah. Houston is still one of my favorite broadcasters to this day. He is one that I think I try to emulate, and I try to to take some things from Jim Houston. I love the way he calls the game. I love the way he sounds, and being able to listen to Bob Cole, Harry Neal, and, and a lot of those those broadcasters. Uh, from CBC and and Hockey Night in Canada, I think that has been been phenomenal. Uh, Ken Daniels, I, I listened to him obviously growing up as well, and Mickey Redmond. I had the the pleasure of meeting Mickey Redmond one time. He was a neighbor of uh, of one of my family friends, and uh, I'm over his house one day. I think I'm 11 years old, and they they shared a tree line, um, and then I, I turn around, and and here comes Mickey Redmond walking through this tree line, and I uh, I stop. <laughs> right in my tracks and I think once I picked my jaw up off the floor I was able to get hello Mr. Redman how are you out <laughs> so um, you know Detroit broadcasters have had a profound I think impact on my life and and outside of Detroit growing up you know hockey was never the goal and play-by-play was never the goal until college I was going to be Stuart Scott. I wanted to be on ESPN Sports Center, and 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 that is who I really looked up to. And, and it wasn't until I got to college when I started broadcasting 
broadcasting hockey and I did some baseball games that I tried to to put some Ernie Harwell into Bowling Green Falcon baseball games that I tried to put some Ken Daniels, Mickey Redmond, Jim Houston mm. into um, some Bowling Green hockey games and, and try to put some Mark Champion and, and George Blaha into basketball games. So it wasn't until I got into play by play that I really understood and started to appreciate the voices that the great city of Detroit has. And finally, Everett, I want to uh, thank you for your time so far. But Absolutely. Any big picture thoughts? Um, you're going to get married October 15th, 2021 to Shelly yeah. Pinto in Newport, yeah. Rhode Island. Uh, Seattle doesn't start the hockey team for another year. Your role hasn't been specified 100% radio, TV, but you'll be part of social media and videos and out in the community and it really is a dream come true. It's been one of the quotes uh, from you so far. Uh, you talked about your relationship with your family, your Detroit background. What are some of your bigger thoughts? You thought about going out to Seattle and all those things, but what's going on in your life in the next little while? I think for, for me, the, the biggest thing is that I've, I've been able to realize this dream um, at, at 31 years old. Um, I, I used to, I used to say all the time NHL by 40. That's, that's the goal. Um, mm -hmm. and to be able to, to get there nine years earlier is, is something that I never could have, have imagined. And, um, you know, like I, I said, my, my excitement really lies with, um, you know, be, be, let me, let me go back. Yeah, being yeah. the first, uh, being the first, black team broadcaster in the NHL is huge. And I, and I never, and I still don't think I have really been able to grasp it and, and to put it and harness it and put it into words what this means. But I think for me, being able to go to a place, a town like Seattle, uh, a non-traditional hockey market, and being able to hopefully bring some of that Red Wings magic, that Blackhawks magic, some of the, the great hockey cities in America, being able to turn Seattle into one of those cities um, is a challenge that I am really excited for. Watching the love of the game growing in Seattle. A lot of folks don't know, but Seattle was the first American-based team to win the Stanley Cup back in 1917-18. Uh, um, you know, it's a town that has a hockey history. And for me, I'm really looking forward to reigniting the passion for hockey, uncovering a lot of that hockey history in Seattle, um, while also trying to show mm -hmm. off some of the great hockey cities. And again, I'll go back to Detroit. Um, you know, I, I, I cannot think of a better time that I've had um, as a young sports fan than going to old Tiger Stadium and watching games at Joe Louis Arena. Uh, so being able to bring a lot of that old, those older hockey buildings and a lot of those hockey cultures from around the NHL to Seattle, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Um, like you said, I uh, got the big wedding coming up uh, in October of next year. We're, we're moving out to Seattle uh, in mid-September, so that's going to be fun. Um, luckily, both of us have made some big moves on our own in the past, so mm -hmm. for me to be able to, to do this with my lovely fiance is something that I'm very excited for.
Um, so there, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And, and uh, I promise you, we're not freaking out too much <laughs> about everything, but um, it, it's something that we're very happy to be, to be doing. And, and it's something that I am just honored and thrilled um, that I have an opportunity to, to represent my family, to represent uh, the city of Detroit, Bowling Green, State University, Youngstown, mm -hmm. Cincinnati, all the places that I've been. Um, I'm very, very happy to be able to represent you guys and represent everyone uh, on this next step of my career. Yeah, they've all played a huge role, that's for sure. And again, Everett, thanks today for discussing your exciting challenge, your role mm -hmm. as the first black team broadcaster. And for sure, we'd like to follow up with the Red Wings play at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle in the 2021-22 yeah. season. Wouldn't that be something? That would be great. And I'm already looking forward, forward to my first trip to uh, Little Caesars Arena uh, when Seattle comes to play Detroit. I, I, that game <laughs> isn't even on the schedule yet. And I yes. already have about 20 ticket requests for it. So... <laughs> It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm, I think that's the one that I'm looking forward yeah. to the most. I, I, I may I, I I will I definitely will be shedding some tears before that game. Being able to do my first yes. NHL yes. game in Detroit back home that'll be a lot of fun. That's a wonderful story, Everett. And thanks again for sharing some of your time today. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate it. And that will do it for episode 34 of Octopulse. Ted will be back soon after vacation. Also a reminder about our new subscription-only content, which begins in a couple of days on Wednesday, August the 12th. You can still read almost everything for free, but some of our in-depth and unique stories will cost as little as $3 for the first three months. So you might want to check that out in the coming days and weeks. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the playoffs. Bye for now. 